Well, if you could, uh, we passed our baskets down earlier for offering, or for, excuse me, just uh, for, for newcomers, if you could now take those baskets and pass them back down for offering this morning. If you're a first-time guest, we simply ask that you uh, place that card into the basket. We'd be greatly appreciative. Couple of things uh, share with you and talk about. Number one, coming up in January, uh, January 10th, 17th, and 24th. I want you to mark uh, those dates down. We are going to have uh, these three nights. There's a Thursday nights, nights of of worship and nights of prayer. And the idea, it's real simple, that as we come into this new year, that we want to come in intentionally focusing on Jesus, right? That when we focus on Jesus, all the things that don't matter hopefully fade away. That's what happens. That as you focus on Jesus, everything else in your life that, that needs to fade, it, it does. Because if we, as we gaze on him, that it's real simple. Let's hear this. When you, if you truly gaze upon Jesus then you become enamored by him, and you can't really look to anything else to bring you pleasure. Hear that. As you look on Jesus and you become enamored by him, then you want to get rid of everything else that hinders you from seeing him. That's what we're going to do for these times in January. We're going to get together these three, these two weeks, these three gatherings, and we want to focus on Jesus. We want to worship. We want to pray. We want to be a, a, a season of focusing on Him. And, and we know that we will we, that we're doing things well in that time when the fruit of His presence becomes manifest in His life. If you don't know what those fruits are, let me tell you because you want them. It's the fruit of love and of joy. And of peace and of patience and of kindness and of joy and faithfulness and self-control, right? All of these things, right? They become manifest, which simply means they become real to you. And so we want to, you know, what better way to spend the beginning of a new year, right? We make resolutions that we never intend to fulfill. Let's give ourselves, this being enamored by Jesus, and actually have a shift in our lives, because of our gaze upon him. And so I encourage you, those dates, right? I just said it. The 10th, the 17th, and the 24th, and the rest of those days will be taking time in your own personal time with Jesus and focusing on him and praying. Second thing is this. Uh, and coming in 2013, one of the primary values that Vintage em- embraces and engages is this idea of living in community and, and discipleship. And the primary ways these things happen are in our small groups. Now, we, we, we had a, a small group uh, series back in the fall that was just, it was overwhelming. It was profound in many people's lives. We're going to be launching into that again starting in January. I want you to know this is our primary form of discipleship, right? It's the primary way that we're helping you to get into relationship with other people, okay? Listen, church is only half fulfilling if you're coming to relate with Jesus. Listen, if you only have a relationship up, but you don't have any horizontal relationship with people, then you're wasting your Christian life. It's supposed to be in the context 
of community. You relate to Jesus. Why? So you can love your neighbor. Jesus said the only way you can be fulfilled and complete as a Christian is by living upward and loving outward. Living upward with Jesus and living horizontally with other people. Okay? So that's, we're helping you be obedient to Jesus. Okay? It's our gift to you, right? Seriously, small groups coming up. We want you to begin preparing yourself, planning for those, helping you be, be complete as a Christian. Here's what we need. We need seven other, we need seven facilitators of groups. We need seven of you who would come along and say, yes, we want to come help people connect in relationship and be obedient to Jesus by facilitating a group. I'm looking, and Scott's going to, this is Scott right here, wave your hand, Scott. Everybody look over there, right? The good looking guys with sleeves rolled, all right? He's the guy you're going to talk to, right? He's ultimately over small groups and discipleship, okay? So here's what I'm looking for. Two types of people. Are you ready? Number one, I'm looking for people, we're looking for people who say, yes, I feel the call of the Lord to lead small groups, right? To facilitate a small group, right? If that's you, you're going to talk to Scott and he'll set you up. The other people are like Isaiah in chapter 6. You don't necessarily feel called from the Lord, but you say, here I am, use me. Right? Do you know Isaiah was not called by God to go be a prophet in that sense? He simply said, hey, I hear you need somebody. I'm available. Send me. Now, there was a call in that too, but you know what's going He says, here I am. Send me. So if you feel the call or you're simply available and ready to be used by God in that fashion, I want you to talk to Scott. We're looking for at least seven more groups. And if we have those, then we can get everybody in our church into a small group and that way you can actually live upward and outward our gift to you merry christmas okay so make sure you sign up for the get connect with scott and make that happen all right so we are in this season right this season uh, of anticipation right we all understand this word anticipation as it relates to the christmas season right as kids as kids and your kids are probably this way now if we're completely honest with ourselves we would say that the anticipation of Christmas morning was much more exciting than the actual Christmas morning itself. Am I, am I, am I speaking a lie here? No, right? I mean, literally, I remember as a kid, I'd wake up, I'd go running down, I'd get on my gifts, and I'd go, oh, is that it? Thank you, right? Because the anticipation and the excitement of, of Christmas morning, if I was fully honest, far outweighed the actual excitement of Christmas morning, right? This is just crazy, but as human beings, we, we love, especially good things, anticipation. We love living in a place of anticipation. How do I know this? We'll come about May. You're already looking forward to your vacation, aren't you? Right? Time at work is a little bit easier, isn't it? Because you're just looking, oh, in 38 days and four hours, I'll be on the beach in Florida, right? Sunning this white thing of my body, right? Letting the rays hit and I can't wait. And what happens? People at work are just seemingly nicer in May and June. Why? Because they can see and anticipate the sun hitting them in Florida, right? Vacation. We anticipate Vacation, we love it. Listen, when you were, before you got married, there was this high level of anticipation of marriage, wasn't it? You couldn't, you were just anticipating being married. It was so exciting. You're like, oh my gosh, this is so great. I'm anticipating, but if you're completely honest with yourself, right? There's another level of anticipation. We call it the honeymoon anticipation, right? 
The honeymoon anticipation, seriously, stop being so religious here. You know what I'm talking about, right? The honeymoon activities. Listen, John Acuff does this great book called Stuff Christians Like. And he said, they said, honeymoon activities are, listen, they are number one, right? They are number one in comparison to the second coming of Christ. He said, honeymoon activities far outweigh the anticipation of the second coming of Christ. How do I know this? How many of you, when you're about 12, 13, or 14 in youth group, said, God, I can't wait for you to return, but just please wait right until after my honeymoon, right? You've all, some, how many of you have said that? Don't lie. Thank you. Thank you for being bold. Yes. Listen, growing up 12 years old, I said, Jesus, I can't wait for your second coming, but let's be honest. I want to get married first, right? There's anticipation. You're like, oh my gosh, he's, so, he's just offended me. Don't let it offend me. It's just truth, right? It's a gift from God, marriage, and everything that comes with it. Now, we live as human beings in this place of anticipation. We love as human beings. We live in this place of anticipation. We love it. And what I would say is this, the the, the, the biblical narrative, the story of the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, one word that could define it is this word anticipation. There were these guys and these men and women, they were, they were known as prophets. They were the ones who would hear, hear the word of the Lord. Right? God would, they would have this unique relationship with God and God would speak to them. And then they would go and they would share it with the people or with the king, with whoever God was telling them to speak to. Right. And this these prophets would have they just had this unique relationship. But the thing about the prophets and the, the word that defines them is anticipation. Right. They lived in anticipation. They lived in expectation. They lived with this eternal hope that one day Messiah would come, that Christ, the Christ would come. Right. Was simply the savior of the world. Right. The savior of the people of God. They were anticipating and, and ex- anticipating, and expecting this coming of a of a king who would save all of the Jews, save all the people of God. They were expecting and anticipating. They would live literally. They call it the mystery. Jesus says, listen, says even the prophets looked into the mysteries, disciples, that you now understand in my coming. That there was a mystery that the disciples were looking to. They were expecting with this heart of anticipation that one day, Messiah would come, and when he came, he would make everything right again with the world. They lived in this place of anticipation. We call that culmination of anticipation, like that culmination of anticipation. We call that Christmas. They lived every day. But this anticipation that one day Messiah would come, what we call Christmas. What I want to do this morning is we're just right before the celebration, the commemoration of Christmas. I want us to dive into the heart of these prophets. They're human beings just like you, right? They, they thrive on anticipation just like you do. And I want to dive into their heart because there's something about their anticipation, listen, there's something about their anticipation and expectation of Christmas that we've lost, and we've actually already experienced it. And this morning, what I want to do is I want to dive into 
what they dreamed of that we get to experience. So, Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9, we're going to look at it in just a few minutes, but I want to start in chapter 7 and chapter 8 just to kind of lay the foundation for us, okay? In chapter 7, there are, in chapter 7 and chapter 8, there are two types of people that were, that are part of the, this, this narrative that we're looking at, the story here we're looking at in Isaiah 7 through 8. Chapter 7, what we see, the first group is this, we see the people of God. The people of God, right, who in hearing God speak, they have ultimately rejected his word and they've suffered the consequence. In Assyria, right, the surrounding nation of Assyria has come in and taken them captive, right? They've ultimately rejected God's word and they've suffered the consequence. Disaster will strike them and Assyria will overcome and take them, okay? So that's the first part. In verse 21 through 25, chapter 7, it tells us the people will be left in poverty and the land will be in decay. We can read in chapter, in verse 21 and 22, it says, distressed. These are the ones not trusting God, okay? These are these people, they're distressed and they're hungry. They will roam through the land. When they are, when they are famished, they will become enraged. Looking up and looking upward will curse their king and their God, right? Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom and they will be thrust into utter darkness. Wow, right? Wow, that just does not sound fun. That does not sound like Christmas to me, right? Here you have this picture of these people. They're literally living in this, this, this disappointment in God. They're frustrated. This, this picture here says they look up to God to curse Him. Why? Because they're angry. They're frustrated. They're overwhelmed. How could a good, omnipotent, omniscient, all-loving being allow this to happen to us? So they look up to God to curse Him, and they look down to the earth to show that they're no longer looking to Him. These are not ones who are trusting God. These are the ones who have forgotten God. These are the ones who have turned away in disgust, in anxiety, in worry, in frustration, forgetting God, because how could he allow this with their eyes focused on the ground? Second group, second group are those who are associated with Isaiah. They would be what we call the remnant, right? They'd be part of the people of God, but they are the ones who will stay true to their conviction about Yahweh, right? About the God of the Old Testament. They are the ones who are staying true to their God. Verse 16 says they will, listen, they will bind up the testimony and seal up the law among God's disciples. Verse 17, they will wait for the Lord who was hiding his face from the house of Jacob and they will put their trust in God. What is that saying, Steve? It simply means this. They came to God and said, we will follow you. Even though all hell has broken loose against us, we will not turn. We will focus on you. And what it means is they will bind the testimony and they will seal up the law among God's disciples. Basically what it's saying is God will entrust his word to them. God will entrust his law to them. God will entrust his special things to them. Listen, when I'm about to go water skiing, right, I look to someone when I'm wearing my sunglasses 
and I wear my sunglasses, and I'm wearing my watch. Things are important to me. I mean, I'm not going to fall or anything. But in case I did, right, I'm going to take my prized possessions, and I'm going to hand them to someone that I can trust. It won't be my kids. God love them, right? Listen, it's my special stuff, right? I'm going to hand them to some adult, and they're going to take them. They're going to say, yes, you can entrust me with them. They will take them. They will put them in their bag, and they will cover them so nothing can, nothing can get to them. That's what God is doing. He is taking his special stuff, his word, the things that are important to him, right? The, the stories and the statutes and his law, all the things that are important to him. He's saying, I will trust you with them. Right? You get the picture. Two people. One who don't like God very much, right? And one group who is being entrusted, who is being faithful, who is walking with God. Do you see the situation I'm going to change the language here because I want us to be able to, to connect with and identify the story ourselves with our own story. Okay, so I'm going to change the language, but this is all true to their situation, right? They're in a difficult, difficult season in their, in their, in their country, right? People have turned from God. Put yourself in this place. See if it sounds familiar, right? People have turned from God. They have turned from their spiritual heritage and they've turned from their moral heritage in which they had been raised. They have lost sight of the very God who created them and formed them into a nation, right? They had lost sight of their forefathers, the ones who had heard from God and spoken on his behalf in the forming of their country, right? They were in an economic crisis. Actually here, they had just done the plunge over the fiscal cliff. Okay, they've already made it over the cliff. This is a testimony of what it looks like when it happens, right? This fiscal cliff already come. They're in an economic crisis. There are wars. There are rumors of war from opposing nations who are much larger and much stronger than they were, right? These, my friends, are perilous, overwhelming, difficult times. Does that sound familiar? And God looks, and hear this, God looks, and he sees the remnant. He sees the holy people of God, the ones who have not turned. He sees the true followers of Yahweh, those who are holding the word, staying true to the law of God. And he comes in chapter 9, and he begins to speak into them. I want you to hear me say this for your own personal Bible Bible reading from this point on. Chapter 9 of Isaiah was not for the entire nation of Israel. It was for the people whose hearts had not turned from God. Hear that. The word of God to the people of God represents the remnant who have not turned. So we're about to read chapter 9. He's not speaking to the frustrated people. He's speaking to the holy remnant who are staying true, holding on to the word of God. Read with me in chapter 9, starting in verse 1, going to verse 7. Nevertheless, what a great word to start with. Basically means in spite of all the difficulties and hardships and and stuff that we're facing, in spite of all of this, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. I want you to listen to this, okay? He's putting it into present tense. Not future tense, he's putting it into right now tense for them, right? There will be no more gloom. For whom? The holy ones of God who are living in hell in Assyria. 
There will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Recognize, these are the very first two cities that were overrun by Assyria. He's speaking hope to them. The ones who have been in ruins, who have suffered the longest, he speaks to them first and says, listen, there will be no more gloom. There will be no more gloom in the land, in this land. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. Remember Galilee, right? Know somebody from there. Verse 2. The people walking in darkness. Talking to them. The people walking in darkness have, present tense, seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as a people. As people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them. The bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For, because, the reason why I can say this, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, listen, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal, the passion of the Lord Almighty alone will accomplish this. So, Isaiah comes in, begins speaking into the moment, right? And he comes and he says, listen, I want to begin to speak to you. There's a, listen, difficulty has come, right? Gloom has come. But I want you to know, in this distress, you are in darkness. You are in darkness. Representing those, right, in the midst of hardship, they've waited expectantly for the movement of the Lord, right? They're sitting here, they're hoping, and they're believing, they're living in darkness. The season of life is overwhelming. It's difficult, and all of a sudden, God speaks into the moment. He speaks into the moment. Prophetically, He speaks something that is not as if it already were. Prophetic, right? Something that is not as if it already were. And do you know what happened in their moment? All of a sudden, all of a sudden, in their spirits, in their spirit, they saw God. They saw a great light. Present tense, right? All of a sudden, into the moment of darkness, God spoke and they believed Him. And all of a sudden, this light was birthed inside of them. This light of expectation. This light of anticipation. This light of hope was birthed in them. Where were they when it broke forth? They were in hell. The closest thing they'd ever known. And anticipation, expectation, and hope birthed in them through the word of God being spoken into them, right? He speaks into this moment. He says, listen, you were walking in darkness, but you now, I've spoken into you, and you've beheld the great light. You are filled with joy. 
You will now rejoice as one rejoices at the harvest, right? You will rejoice as those who are dividing the plunder. Listen, you may st- listen. This is the beautiful part, verse four, saying, "Yeah, you may still be under a physical yoke, but we know you're not." Spiritually, the yoke has been broken, right? The rod that, that literally created the yoke, it's been broken. You are set free. And they're literally living in this moment with Christmas not actually being reality, but it has broken into their life. And in the midst of their darkness, they are literally living with anticipation, expectation, and they are living with hope. Goes on, verse 6, and says, For us, the child is born, right? The Messiah, the Christ. They live in this reality of a Messiah who has come for them in their spirit, but has not yet come physically, right? They're living in this, this place of seeing him in the future. It's a mystery to them, right? It's not complete, but I want, the thing I want you to recognize is this. All of a sudden, in this moment, right? This, the few, right? The few, the proud, right? The, the believers of God, right? Not the Marines, right? The, the few, the people of God who are holding the statutes of God, who are, who are been entrusted by God with his secrets and the things of his heart, right? All of a sudden, God just speaks into them. You know what happens? They become a Christmas people without even knowing what it is. They anticipated, expected, and hope defined them. And guess what they became? A light to the nation. They became a light to the nation. And all of a sudden, they began to understand God as the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And all of a sudden, they said, God, we see this, but how will you do this? And I'm just going to kind of read from the lines, so don't, this is not the Bible, but I think there are moments when God just stands up. And all of a sudden, like Isaiah beheld him in his glory, all of a sudden people go, oh, you are God. And you are zealous for your people. You are passionate over your children. And you will come. And you will take all the governments and you will put them on your shoulders for you are God. How could we have not seen fully who you are and recognized it? They had a revelation, an awakening, they had an awareness, and all of a sudden they were in this place of saying, Yea, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will not fear you. Any oppressor will not overcome us. Why? Because we've seen God stand up. We've seen him come. We know who he is. He has come into our hearts. He's yet to come physically, but he's coming, and you better beware. Because when he comes, he will judge the nations. And we're going to watch it happen on his side because we are the remnants. We are the people of God. This is the message 
of Christmas breaking into the hearts of prophets who have yet to fully understand it, right? This, this breaking in of hope and of expectation, right? This anticipation, it's overwhelming, right? It's just beautiful to, to watch the Lord move and do these things, right? That Christ, although he has not physically been born, right? He hasn't been physically been born. The expression, this fruition has already come in their hearts. They don't fully know Christmas, but they, they've, been, they've experienced its reality, the anticipation, right? I want to say this, this and hear this phrase. I wrote it down. The physical hadn't manifested itself yet, but the truth of it had already dawned in the hearts and minds of those who were near to God. Let me say that again. The physical hadn't manifested itself yet at Christmas, but the truth of it had already dawned in the hearts and the minds of those who were near to God. They stood in the physical darkness in expectant anticipation of the coming light of the Messiah. They stood in this darkness looking and seeing the light and saying that is more real than this is. The anticipation and the expectation of the coming of Messiah, it defines how we live our life. And what you then have are two types of people. And we still have them today. Those defined by the darkness are those who are defined by the light of Jesus. You have those who are defined by hopelessness, or you have those who were defined by hope, or you have those who are defined by the situation that they are immediately standing in, or they are defined by anticipation, expectation, and hope. You see, they literally stood without Christmas having already come. And they had this hope, this anticipation, the expectation of Messiah. Listen, we already have Christmas. We already have the hope and the anticipation and the expectation realized in our lives. And we are living in one of these two places, either defined by the situation or defined by the anticipation, not of a God that may come someday, but of a God who's already come and is moving in power today for those who simply lean on him and call on him. Listen, this past week we had the excitement, right? We had the excitement of, of beginning to express this level of hope into the lives of those in our community who, who were just struggling in the moment, right? We had the opportunity literally to, and, and, and all of us, right, who, who, who came and supported these children for Christmas of 150 kids, right? We were to watch them come in the door, right? In this place, some of them just struggling, some of them overwhelmed, some of them broken in the moment. What, were, what, what, what could we do? In the moment, we shared the hope of Christmas. We shared saying, listen, we want to love on you through the love of a Savior who is massively in love with you and wants to be part of a family who can ultimately come alongside of you and be your family and love on you, right? And we sat here and we had a a station here, people who were literally wrapping gifts, right? We had a food station right over here, right? We're about chowing down. We had all these clothes over here. We were able just to give away, right? It was a massive and wonderful and powerful time of, of watching the light of Jesus literally break into this these moments, right? Because we're the people of God. We carry the hope 
of a dying world in us in the hope manifest in Jesus Christ at Christmas when we gave our life to him and it burst into us and now we live lives as people who are anticipating the movement of God right now. We're expecting the movement of God right now, right? We're hoping for the movement of God in difficult places right now. We live in that place as the people of God. We've been entrusted, it's been entrusted to us. And then last week, Listen, you have to get excited about this. Last week was our year-end offering. If this is your first time to Vintage, you may not know. did a year-end offering last week. We gave you these three things right here. We took one. Listen, I'm about to give you a number of what we took up. Okay? And I'm going to tell you 100. Listen, I didn't keep any to buy Starbucks gift cards for myself. I gave 100% of it away, right? Vintage gave 100% of the money away with the number I'm about to tell you. Last year, and kind of just kind of build up, right? Build up, get excited. Come on, you get excited? You better start cheering, right? Last year, last year, we took up $29,000, right? We were, oh, I was overwhelmed by that number. It was amazing, right? Took up $29,000 and we gave it away. Listen, our church has not grown that much since last year. And so jokingly, I said this year, right? I hadn't, this was no faith behind the statement. It'd be awesome if we could double that amount, right? I said that with no faith. I was not speaking prophetically on purpose, right? There was nothing in me that was thinking, geez, I was thinking, ha ha, that's funny, it'd be great, but I'm not expecting it. You ready for the number? dollars. $72,000. $72,000. $72,000. And we gave it all away. How awesome is that? More than doubled. How good is God? How exciting is it to write checks to people and say, here you go. We love you, right? Because we literally took this Jubilee gift. People in our own church who are struggling, right? They're not needy people. They're just people who had need in the moment, right? Because there's really no needy. That's kind of the point. There's no needy in the church of God. Why? Because we provide for those needs. There's no real need. There's people in the moment who have need, right? And we came alongside and said, we love you, right? And there are people, there's a couple of people like, listen, listen, it's awesome that you put that number. Let's double that. You didn't ask for enough for some people, right? It's like, this is awesome, right? And we just blessed them. We came alongside and helped them. It was just beautiful, right? What did we do? The people of God who would experience Christmas, past tense, take the joy of the living God, the hope and the anticipation and the expectation of a living God who wants to move right now. Says, Let us be Jesus and bless you. We are the light of the world. Come to us and we will share it with you. And then you too can be filled with the hope of the living God. Praise God. This, my friends, is the story of what Christmas is. It's silly to me that we sit down and we're like, oh, we're going to celebrate Christmas. Listen, Christmas was a covert operation of God on the offensive to a world that was broken. There is nothing just like, oh. Christmas, no. Christmas is some God on the offensive said, watch out, here I come. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Because God is coming to town. This is what Christmas is about. That was crazy stupid, wasn't it? 
Christmas is here. Christmas has come. And Jesus' robe is dipped in blood. And his eyes are on fire. And he said, Christmas has come. And the anticipation and the expectation and the hope of the prophets is just a foreshadowing. It's a little bit of the taste of the anticipation and the expectation and the hope of those who are following Christ and make up my body. Because I'm not just entrusting the past law to you. I'm entrusting the movement of the Holy Spirit present today with you. And you can give it away. And this is what we celebrated this past week. $72,000 is just the beginning. Friends, you have entered, whether you know it or not, if you're here at Vintage, or if you're a believer in Christ, and an authentic, listen, and hear this, I mean this to offend a little bit. If you're an authentic follower, giving every moment of every day of your life, devoted to Christ for the service of the living King, then you have entered into a movement that leads to the second coming of Christ. You remember, the advent is to commemorate the first coming so that we prepare ourselves and celebrate his second coming. The second coming, Jesus says, I will come, and I'm going to come. I'm going to take my bride. Who is my bride? The one who is prepared, living in anticipation and expectation and of hope every day of their lives for the coming of Messiah into every broken place. Christmas is a celebration of the greatest military offensive the world has ever known. And it's a paradox because it happened in a small child, which represents the level of humility that God's saying it will take if we're going to win a broken nation and a broken world to Christ. This was the word of Isaiah. Christmas was coming. The Savior was coming. And today what we can say is Jesus, my friends, he is a wonderful counselor. He is a wonderful counselor. Jesus loves counseling. He is one. Wonderful counselor. He is an everlasting, never-ending father to the fatherless who feel forgotten, who feel abused, who feel left behind. He says, no, 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 I am your father, I love you, and I have not forgotten you. He is a prince, he is a prince, he's over, he's a prince of all the peace that the world has ever known. And he rules it and he doles it out to those who are in need of it. This is the hope of Christmas. You, my friends, are the people of God, who God entrusts with the message of Christmas. And you get to be now the light of the world, a city on a hill, for those that are in need of Christmas to break into their life. This is your destiny. This is the movement we're a part of. Merry Christmas. Father, we love you.
We praise you and thank you for Christmas, Lord. We thank you, God, that it's not just the story of Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus. God, it is the initiation of something that even the enemy never could have grasped when it happened. In that moment, if he knew any better, he'd have been shaking in his boots because something just happened that was going to shift the cosmos as we know it. Father God, I have to believe that in the spirit realm, yeah, the angels came and sang a little bitty song to us on earth, but I have to believe that they echoed a song that is still echoing through all of the cosmos today. Jesus is born. Father, today, I ask that you would awaken us to this understanding and reality of Christmas. That, Father, we would recapture it in its fullness and be undone by it. And because, because of it, of looking at you and being enamored by you, God, may it cause us to live in expectation and in anticipation and enough hope that you are a living God who breaks into all broken places. Holy Spirit, come and do as you will in Jesus' name. Amen.